Mark chapter 15. We'll begin reading at verse 37. The Bible says, Jesus cried with a loud voice. He gave up the ghost. The veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion, which stood over against him, saw that he so cried out, gave up the ghost, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on afar off, among whom was Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James, the less, and Joseph, and Salome, who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him. These ladies were faithful in their following of him and ministering unto him, and many other women which came up with him unto Jerusalem. And now when he even was come, because it was a preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled if he were already dead, and calling unto him the centurion, he asked him whether he'd been dead any while dead. And when he knew it, of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. And he brought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen, laid him in a sepulcher which was hewn out of a rock and rolled a stone under the door of the sepulcher. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph beheld where he was laid. It's hard for us to capture the moment, so many emotions and feelings that the disciples are experiencing the faults of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything had begun with such great hope. Uh, his first 30 years had been pretty obscure, but as he called the disciples together, from that point on, it was literally just an incredible experience from the raising of the dead, the healing of the sick. Everyone that came into contact with the Lord Jesus Christ had hope. And here's what we see over the course of his ministry, people going uh, through great painstaking measures uh, to get to the Lord Jesus Christ because they knew whether it was a child that was sick or dying or dead, whether it was an ailment that they were experiencing, it doesn't matter if the doctors could not provide them hope, they knew Jesus provided them hope. We see some breaking through a roof to get a friend to the Lord Jesus Christ. Others traveling great distances. It didn't matter whether it was blind Bartimaeus uh, overcoming the crowd, pushing him away, and the, even the disciples and others. Uh, it was rejection they were facing, but they said, we'll overcome this to get to Jesus because we know if he sees, if he has compassion, if he just touches us or if we can touch him, there's hope. But now, uh, their hope is hanging on a cross. I can't imagine those that saw him, especially the women. Women are much more uh, touched deeply, much more emotional. And here's this great group of women that have followed Christ throughout the entirety of his ministry Several of them are mothers of disciples. The mother of James the Less, the mother of James and John are there. Mary Magdalene, uh, a woman, I believe, one of his most devout and most committed followers who had seven demons cast out. She knew of the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. She knew she had gotten from hopeless. When you're possessed of seven demons, your life is a disaster that others can't comprehend. And she met Jesus, and suddenly her life is normal. Her sanity is restored. People look at her differently. She's under total control. She's filled with peace, and she's an ardent follower. And the Lord, it's no surprise that the Lord, uh, the resurrected Lord, is going to appear under her first. 
But we're talking about a crowd that was so hopeful that now it seems so hopeless. And if you put yourself in this circumstance, there he hangs. When you can see a man's ribs, flesh just hanging from his body, and those pierced hands, blood pouring out of his crucified body, they're looking there in for those that stuck around for this moment, as he takes his last breath and says, it is finished, there is despair. Now, there's a lot of reasons for despair. Uh, Christians, we understand a world out there that is full of despair. When we hear about the suicides, the premature deaths, the absolute desperation, we're talking about a world without God, without Christ. The Bible does tell us in Ephesians 2, that there's a world out there. The Bible says that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenant of the promise, having what? No hope. No, no hope. And if you don't believe this book, and if you don't believe in life after death and the possibility of having that life without works, only through grace, the gift of God... If you think your salvation depends upon your good living, you're going to be pretty much hopeless. And to see a world out there despairing in, in its relationships, and for some, I don't have a home, I don't have a job, I haven't had a success. They look back in life, you know, the world calls it a midlife crisis. They haven't made a footprint or an impact on the world like they thought they might. They don't own what they hope to purchase or accumulate over the course of their life. Their health is going downhill, the loss of a loved one. The list is long of all the things in life that can cause despair. Now, once again, we understand that the life of someone that is without God, without the Holy Spirit, without the Comforter, without this book, without guidance, without heaven in their future. But for the Christian, how often do we see Christians that are falling into a deep cesspool of despair. And they just can't see a a way out. And here's what we see in this group overall. Luke 23 and 24, we read about the the path there. uh, the, The disciples who find themselves in the presence of Christ don't even realize it. And he's trying to encourage them. And he asked them, why are you so sad? You haven't heard the news? You haven't been in Jerusalem? You don't know about our crucified Savior? But that was just a a moment, a brief glimpse into the life of the disciples in general. And there was incredible despair at this moment. And here's what you see. Look what the Bible says. Here's these ladies in verse 40, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother, just these that had served him and ministered to him. I believe their faith was the greatest. Uh, But what you're still going to see is a misunderstanding about the Sunday to come. Now, when it talks about the Sabbath being the next day, you do have to understand for a minute, I believe it's a misnomer. Good Friday is a misnomer. The Bible tells us very clearly that Christ would spend three days, three nights in the tomb. You cannot, I don't care how you count. I don't, don't tell me about a Jewish day. Don't, don't tell me about any of that. You cannot come up with three days between Friday and Saturday night. That's an impossibility. Uh, I don't know what kind of math you're trying to use or what kind of 
imagination you have, uh, that is an impossibility. I do not believe for a second uh, that God would lie to us in his written word, uh, spend three days, three nights. This is very most likely. Mathematically, it leaves us Wednesday evening, afternoon and evening when he's placed in the tomb. But you've got to understand, there are going to be a period of days here of despair because they haven't fathomed, they haven't comprehended Sunday and what exactly this means. We know the prophecies, we understand all that, we understand the teachings. But in their mind, they had not processed it. And we should understand too, because we have the written word of God, 66 books. But for, for those of you, I'm, I'm a speed reader. And I've read books of a thousand pages. But here's what I often do. I'm not reading every word. It becomes very excessive. And if the book is uh, something I know I don't have time to get through, or sometimes I've read books about the Holocaust and other things, it's too heavy. It's, it's just too heavy. The details are too heavy. But what I'll always do, I, I get to the last chapter. I, I want to know what happened. Sometimes it's a good ending. Sometimes it's a bad ending. Uh, how many of you, his children, read the, the Hardy Boy books or any of those mystery books? You knew eventually they were going to figure it out and the bad guy was going to get caught. It, after you read enough, you thought, I don't even have to skip to the last chapter. I already know. The bad guy is going to jail. The mystery was solved. Now, if you've been a Bible believer very long at all, you should know. I know Revelation is, is heavy and the tribulation and everything the world is going to suffer. That is heavy. But at the end, we know what takes place at Armageddon. We know we're coming back on a horse with Lord Jesus Christ. We know we're going to rule and reign with him. We know Satan's going to be bound and cast into the lake of fire. We know all of that. But there's still times... Our focus is on the circumstances of life. And it's amazing how 30 minutes with a doctor can put us into deep despair. An accident on I-35. A phone call. Being fired from a job. Bad economic news. A bill that's much greater than we expected to pay has arrived. All those things can cause desperation or despair. And if those things cause us despair, put yourself in the place of these disciples whose only hope at this time was in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has just breathed his last breath on this earth. And everything looks upside down. But we know. Sunday is coming. They knew Sunday was coming. They just hadn't comprehended what was going to take place on Sunday. Things were going to be turned right side up when everything on Wednesday night and Thursday and Friday night and Saturday morning was all upside down for each one of these followers. Now, here's how you know it was upside down. Look what it says. Verse 43, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly to Pilate and created the body of Jesus. Why were there not hundreds of followers, at least the disciples, who said, we want a proper burial for the Lord Jesus Christ? 
Now, the Bible does give us several clues. The, the Bible says he was a just man, a good man. John tells us he was a secret disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're told in Luke that he was a member of the Sanhedrin, but here in Mark that he didn't consent to the condemning of death of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a lot of things that we read about this man. How can you be a secret disciple? At some point, your Christianity's got to come to the surface. And this is what's going to bring it to the surface. He's going to go. Now, you've got to understand, as a member of the Sanhedrin and, and truly a religious man, the Sabbath was an important day. Now, remember this. When it says the next day was the Sabbath, we have three Jewish Sabbaths in a row. Sabbath is not just Saturday. It's any holy day. So you had the Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then Saturday. So you're going to have three consecutive Sabbaths. So when it says the next day was the Sabbath, we're not talking about Saturday, but a holy day. They had to remove his body uh, from the cross there before the holy day. But here's, here's what we're going to see. Joseph is not going to be able to celebrate the Sabbath because he's going to be touching and handling a dead body. And he's going to get Nicodemus, another man that was a secret by night, seeking Jesus. But these two are going to, uh, men of position and money, they're going to get the body, wrap it in linen cloth. They're going to take it to Joseph's private tomb, and there they're going to bury him. Look what it says, verse 46. He bought fine linen, took him down, wrapped him in the linen, laid him in a sepulcher, which was hewn out of a rock, rolled a stone into the door of the sepulcher, and Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph behind, or beheld where he was laid. Days would pass. Despair. Now, here's what the disciples are doing. They're hiding out of fear. Really, this group of uh, at least 100, uh, Acts puts the number there in the upper room at 120, but you have hundreds of followers of the Lord Jesus Christ who are filled with fear, depression, desperation, despondency. And uh, it's all because... In their minds, they've forgotten the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Three days later, there should have been an incredible anticipation leading up to Sunday. They should have all been gathered around and said, Guys, uh, we know that Satan's had his moment. And, and we know the guards, and, and we know Herod and Pilate, and we know the, the Pharisees and the religious rulers, and evil men have had their day. Okay, this is as bad as it gets for us. But, but Sunday is just around the corner. Sunday's going to change everything. And here's what we do as Christians. Our eyes are so focused on the circumstances of this life. We're looking, okay, what is the end of this sickness? What is the end of this disease? What is the end of my frailty? What is the end of this job? What does retirement look like? What's going to happen with this child? How, how am I going to fix this in my marriage? Let me tell you a secret that hasn't changed in 2,000 years. Sunday, if you're a Christian, is coming. Despondency is a matter of, instead of focusing on, at some point, God is going to right the wrongs. He's going to rule and reign. I'll have a glorified body. Here's what we do. We're focused on this life. You, you say, what about the evil politicians that we have? Uh, Sunday's coming. Uh, 
one day will be ruling and reigning with Christ. A thousand years upon the earth. And I promise you this, uh, Biden will not be in charge of anything. Pelosi will not be a member of any legislative body in the millennial reign. There'll be no corrupt king, governor, mayor. School boards will not be pushing perverted sexual education upon the children of any nation. There'll be no drag queen shows at any libraries. Amen? No bar on any corner. Sixth Street will look a whole lot different than what you see in downtown Austin. Amen. And Christians, I'll tell you what, this world should look at the face of every Christian and see a countenance that is totally different because too often we look as hopeless as the world. We look as unhappy, unsettled, desperate, despondent as a world. They should look that way. They have great reason because for them, without Christ, without salvation, without heaven, without the Holy Spirit, Sunday is going to be like any other day until Christ comes to reign and then they are thrown into hell, the lake of fire. But for every born again child of God, we know their hour is limited. It's limited to this life, their life, their moment. And here's the disciples. There is an incredible despondency that we see take place. And church, We've seen it not just through their life, but at death. Here's what Paul said, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. Verse 14. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which, what? Have no hope. I've been to the funerals. I've watched people in Argentina and Mexico throw themselves on the caskets of their loved ones and weep well literally have to be pulled off. The uncontrolled sobbing, knowing. Okay, these are people that know they will never again see that brother, mother, sister, son, father. There's no salvation. For them, there's no heaven. They think it's the end. It's not the end. It's just the beginning of eternal torment. That is without hope. But for those of us that live this life, uh, Christians, when, when we look out at the disaster that is Austin, Texas, they talk about the progress of this city. It, to me, it's not progressive. That's uh, digression, regression. What kind of progress is it when you see the filth and the rot and the drugs and the sodomy and all the sinfulness that's found within our city. But Sunday's coming. Sunday's going to clean this mess up. Amen? And Christians, if, if you don't realize, you're going to look just like this group of disciples that hadn't comprehended when he said, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be tried, I'm going to be falsely accused, I'm going to be crucified, I will die, I will shed my blood. But three days later, yes. 
I'm coming out of the grave. They should have been calculating. Okay, if we have Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we should be down there Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening. Because within 72 hours, there's a promise. Now, they made the stake. The, the, the ladies, let's go to chapter 16. They're going to show up, but they're bringing spices. There's no reason to bring spices on this day. Okay, there's no foul smell coming out of this tomb. Because there's no dead body in this tomb. Corruption never touched this tomb. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came. I, I love people that are Bible doubters. The blessing of the gospel, each one adds new insight to what was taking place in the life of Christ. Well, Pastor, one text says, uh, early in the morning before light. Others say at the dawn. And the light was, of course, they woke up, they left in the darkness, they arrived at the dawn of day. It's really tough to comprehend there. That's hard to reconcile the scripture, amen? But they come early in the morning, first day of the week, they come to the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. That's when they arrive. They leave in the darkness. They arrive when the sun is just showing up. That's called wisdom. If you're ladies, you don't want to be out in the darkness of the night all by yourself. They're saying, let's get there when the sun's coming up. And they sit among themselves. And let me just say this before we move on. Thank you, ladies. Thank you, ladies, for being there when men aren't. Thank you for being faithful when men aren't. Thank you for being prayerful when men aren't. Thank you for being cheerful when the men aren't. Thank you for teaching and helping and serving when men don't. There are always more faithful women than faithful men. Regrettably, I thank God for the men in this church. And we have just about as many men as ladies. Amen. Problem. This day and age, in the average church, you don't even know which one are men and which one are ladies. You ought to go to church where you know the difference. And it's not hard to tell from the front or the back. Can we get someone to say amen this morning? Some of you dis- disturbed and we haven't even given you a reason to be disturbed yet. And they said among themselves, who shall roll us away the stone? I love this. These ladies are going with such great faith. They know there's been a huge stone rolled in front. Now, there are guards that have been set. We know everything that was, that's taken place. And uh, they gathered together the chief priests and scribes and said, listen, you guys have got to set guards because his body's going to be stolen. Come on, you're such idiots. These disciples are hiding. I've, I have yet to see anybody go to steal a dead body. That'd be the most ridiculous thing that's ever happened in the history of mankind. First of all, if you truly believe that body is dead, you have decay. I have preached funerals in most foreign countries. They don't embalm. 
And within 24 hours, the stench of that body is more than you can bear. So, to think they would steal that body, or for them to go tell lies that they, the disciples had stolen that body. Yeah. You see Peter, James, and John running through the streets at night with a rotting... Come on, you, you, you are out of your mind. Amen. Any of you ever tried to carry a limp body, 180 pounds, anywhere, any distance at all? But tell me how awkward that would be in Jerusalem. Three men, wrapped or unwrapped. What are you doing? Chilling. <laughs> you want to show us what you're chilling with? It, it, come on, the world makes no sense. Anything they say makes no sense. But these ladies had so much faith, they come. And on their way up there, there's a conversation. So Mary Magdalene looks over at Salome and says, as they're running, hey, I don't think the three of us can move that stone I don't either. And then Mary got possibly just a little honoring and said, well, when you were possessed with demons, you might have had the strength to do it. And she said, that's not funny at all. But I think we're going to need help when we get there. Well, they didn't need any help at all because that had already taken place. They're going to get there. They're going to find out, okay, their, their preparation to roll the stone was unnecessary. Their bringing of the spices was unnecessary. They're going to get up there. The place is going to be empty. The is going to be rolled away. Everything's going to be orderly. No stench, no smell, no body. And they're going to begin to wonder, what's going on? Verse 3. They said among themselves, who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering under the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment. They were affrighted, and he said unto them, You're not affrighted. You see, Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified, he is what? He's, Sunday's come. Yeah, Christians, it's amazing. We, we talk about the rapture. We talk about heaven. We talk about, I see more Christians... Pastor I need an explanation of this. I see more Christians depressed about songs about heaven and sermons on heaven than excited. We are so earthly minded. We are so enraptured by this life. And my new car, my beautiful house, and my wonderful clothes, and my amazing life that heaven scares me. It, it might be a step down. Truly, preachers have stopped preaching on heaven because it's depressing to people. You mean I've, I've got to move on from this life? I'm trying to fabricate. I'm trying to work together in incredible. I watch people, don't get angry with me. But this is the truth. This generation is doing everything they can to make sure their retirement is beautifully perfect it can be. 
Because your health is not going to revert to your 20-year-old health. By the time you're 68, I can get some people angry. You don't feel like going on a cruise. You don't feel like driving to the Grand Canyon. You don't feel like flying to Europe. It feels like torture. You can't even sit in your own couch for more than 45 minutes without cramping up your back. But at least you saved up the money to go. So you take $20 of that money, you go buy a video that says touring Europe. Look, babe. Venice really is beautiful. I wouldn't want to go climb on that gondola anyways. Here's what we see taking place. This whole scene is about confusion because there's a misunderstanding about Sunday. In church, when we talk about heaven and eternity, we are not living in the light of eternity. So Sunday for us is not a consolation. Consolation is getting my car paid off. My house is finally paid for. I've got new flooring. I got a new bed set. I just bought a new car. My insurance payments went down. That eliminates frustration, headache. If you want to see a Christian smile, watch them as they make the last payment on their house. Watch them when they turn 65 and their property taxes are locked in. Preacher, they can't go up anymore. Preacher, I, I get to pay less. Heaven? That's good, but preacher, don't threaten me with that right now. Good night. I haven't even, I haven't even gone to all face and talked about the details of my funeral expenses. I think we're being way too real this morning. I think truly we find ourselves in ruts of despair because our focus is so earthly, our mindset is, is so much about the now. And so whatever circumstance we're dealing with can throw, totally throw us for a loop any day of the week. We're just waiting. We're just waiting for that possibility of a disc, a knee. I, I mean, we, we got people in each category. They can pull a hammy getting out of bed. <laughs> they can throw a disc picking up trash off the floor. It happens. Life happens. Age happens. And then the despondency of, I, I, don't, I don't feel like I accomplished enough. I didn't save enough. I didn't do enough. And all of it is about this life and being as comfortable. I'm not against comfort in this life, but at some point we've got to transition our mind from the temporal to the eternal and say, in light of eternity, here's what I've got to understand. Whatever problem I'm facing on this earth, Sunday is coming. I'm going to move from this life to the next life. That's what salvation is about. That's what eternity is about. That's what the Holy Spirit is about. That's what this book is about. And here's what these disciples, they hadn't heard it. I'm I'm fearful. The average Christian truly hasn't heard the word of God. They're more terrified by revelation than comforted by revelation. The last chapter has them all concerned and worked up. Now, Here's what you're going to see. Verse 7. 
Here's the command. Go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goes before you into Galilee. There you shall see him. Peter, because he's probably the lowest of the whole bunch, having denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times, is not still in his stomach. He's still weeping over his, his sin, his mistake. Verse 8. They went out quickly, fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Now, when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to who? Seven devils. You want to talk about a life that's transformed. This woman said, I owe everything to him. She went, she told them, that had been with him, as they mourned and wept. Now, do you see their, do you see their mindset? What are they doing? Hold on for a second. This is Sunday. This, this is, you know what this is about? This is about faith in the sovereignty of God. This was all planned. This was all predicted. This was all coldly calculated. This wasn't something that came together over the past few minutes or the past few days or the past few years. This was planned from eternity past. God had everything totally under control. And what are they doing? Mourning. Hold on for a second. Hold on. You're mourning his death. He's alive. You're mourning what took place. They had their day. They had their moment. The centurions had their moment. The soldiers had their moment. The scribes and the Pharisees had their moment. And Pilate and Herod had their moments. And all the enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ, they all had their moment. And guess what? In this life, on this planet, the wicked will have their moment. And it's painful to watch. But you ought to live every moment knowing... Hey, Buckaroni, care who you are, Sunday's coming. Mussolini, Sunday's coming. Hitler, Sunday's coming. It, it, it's the, hey, Putin, Sunday is coming. Mm-hmm. McCarthy, Sunday's coming. I, I don't care who you are. I don't care how wicked or how good you think you are. Sunday's coming, and there is a God in heaven. That car is going to run into a brick wall. God said at some point, your day's over, my hour has come. But here's what's pitiful. Okay, it was pitiful that they were weeping in mourning on Friday. After he had told, now had he not told them, you could understand the tears. But he had told them. He had walked them through the events. He had forewarned them of what was going to take place. And he's forewarned us of the same. He said, in this life, you will have troubles. That is guaranteed. So when the trouble comes, you know what a Christian does? We weep and mourn. You know why? We forget about Sunday. I know that sickness is bad, but have you ever thought about a new body? Eternity. And I don't have as much money as I'd like. None of us have as much money as we would like. None of us will ever. You talk to the person who's made the most money in this church. He still didn't have as much. She still didn't have as much money as they would like. Look what it says. She went and told them, verse 11, and they, when they had heard that he was alive 
and had been seen of her, what did they do? They believed not. Let me tell you something about hope. Hope is not automatic. Here's what we think. I'm born again, child of God. I, you know, I'll wake up with hope when it's appropriate. No, you won't. You have a flesh. And your flesh is focused on the things of this life. And the things of this life will lead you to despair. And she tells him, can you imagine Mary? She is so excited. The tomb is empty. It's orderly. It smells good. He's gone. I've met with the risen Savior. He told me to come and tell you. Right. No, Peter, I'm not joking around. I mean it. He literally, why are they not? He told them he would rise from the dead. Why are they not rejoicing? Why are they not comprehending? Bless her heart. Verse 12, after that he appeared to, in another form to two of them, as they walked into the country, they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. And afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat. He upbraided them with their unbelief and hard-hearted, the hardness of their heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Now, do this quickly. We're going to look at a couple of scriptures and be done. Go with me to Acts 2. Here's the moment of change. The Bible tells us in John, Then were the disciples glad when they had seen him. Church, the only thing that's going to change us from despondency and a lack of hope in life is to truly catch a glimpse of the sovereign Lord and say, no matter where I'm at in life, God is sovereign. I could not pastor uh, these churches if I did not hope and rest in the sovereignty of God. Uh, Pastor, do you understand what's taking place? Do you understand uh, ministries of the church are going to be under attack and do you understand any Bible preacher is going to be falsely accused? Do you understand? Let me tell you a little secret. If you're trying to depress me, it won't work. I'm not oblivious. I'm not only aware, I'm highly aware. But at the end of the day, Sunday's coming. Okay? And we talk about, if you put it in the sports realm, and final three seconds or overtime and they kick a field goal and our team won barely. No, no, no. Our team doesn't barely win it. God's not kicking any field goal in overtime. Okay. This is going to be like an 87 to zero beat down. Okay. It's not even going to be a fight. It, there's not going to be any. I remember years ago when I was a kid watching Mike Tyson box and you hear all these guys run their mouths before the fights. I'm going to take him out. I'm going to bust his lip. I'm going to teach him a thing or two. And 90 seconds later, they're laying on the mat. You're like, you idiot. You fought the wrong guy. Okay, you understand. Anybody that stands up against God, they're fighting the wrong person. They're they're not going to win. They can't win. And it's going to look really bad and it's going to be very bad. That's it. End of story. So here's what I believe. No matter what happens down the road, no matter what happens in our country, no matter what happens to the church, Pastor, what if they take our building? Oh. 13 years ago, you didn't even like your building. Blue tile, red chairs, mirrors in the entryway, two bathrooms. And now you're worried about them taking it? Like we can't have church without... 
You complain about the chairs, and then if they take them, you're nervous. Can you get a smile on your face and say, God's bigger than all of that? God has a plan that's bigger, and whatever he planned is, is much better. And while they're in despair, God has just accomplished offering salvation by grace through faith without works to every man in every generation and you're despairing that which is going to provide eternal life to every man. And then you're going to see the, the risen Lord. So here's what Peter says. Acts chapter 2. Him, Peter says. Now wasn't this the one morning and crying that had to be specifically named in Mark 16? Go tell Peter because he's moping. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel foreknowledge of God. Now it's, now, do you guys see that Peter's captured the sovereignty of what took place? This all happened by the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God. Ye have taken by wicked hands, you've crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be, death had no chance, hell had no chance, the grave had no chance. What did Peter say? Peter! How strange is it that the Peter is saying this and preaching this and 50 days ago, he's about ready to drown in his own tears. From despair to church, if we do not at some point look at the future and say, I am not going to live five minutes in despair. Sunday's coming. Everything in this world, you need to take a look at it and say these words. Sunday's coming. It's okay. Sunday's coming. You, you've got your moment. I've got eternity. You, you have your day. You have your hour. You have your weekend. You have your four years. You, well, for some of them, they've got 40 years in that same position. They haven't done anything for 40 years. Aren't you glad that Biden didn't do much? After what we've seen him do in the past two years, aren't you glad that the past 40 years he barely did anything at all? Stop complaining about them doing nothing. We prefer them to do nothing over make, making a mess that they're determined to do. I have a problem with any corrupt politician. Any one of them. But Sunday's coming. I have a problem with any sin, any addiction, any lawlessness. But Sunday's coming. And here's what Peter, we, we see him regroup because it's all come together in his mind. He said, okay, now I'm starting to understand that it was all about God's foreknowledge and God's plan. Go with me to Acts chapter 4, verse 26. Here's Peter preaching again. The kings of the earth stood up. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his child, his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles, the people of Israel, they were gathered together to do what? Whatsoever thy hand, thy counsel, determined before to be done. You know what that is? An understanding of the sovereignty of the Lord Jesus. He said, now I understand it was all pre-planned. It was not man rising up against Christ and conquering. No, it was man rising up against Christ as was before pre-planned and pre-ordained. Now go with me to 1 Peter. 
Church, if we don't understand our confidence, our hope is in Christ alone. Too many Christians are putting their hope in Tesla. Apple. Whatever corporation you work for, whatever stock you bought, I'm telling you something about any earthly hope. Sooner or later, it will leave you hopeless. It will. First Peter, look what it says, chapter 1. First 3. Here's Peter. He, now he can't stop talking about hope. Blessed be the God of the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a what? A lively hope by what? The resurrection. That's what brought him hope. Verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and what? Hope to the end. Verse 21. Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and Do you see the connection between the resurrection and hope? You better understand Sunday or you're not going to be in a good mood. You better understand Sunday or you're going to be hopeless. Here's the Bible says, Romans 15, 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. The problem is they did not believe when she came and told them the news. And on Sunday, they're still grieving because they're not believing. A church, Titus 2.13 says this, looking for that blessed hope and what? Glorious appearing. Now for them, that glorious appearing was the first appearing as he's resurrected from the dead. But for us, that glorious appearing is his next appearing. Yes. The rapture of his saints, and then after the seven years of tribulation, his return with the saints to the earth. But if we don't leave here this morning with one simple thought, I've got to make sure today my frown is corrected. Because on this earth, okay, I have a lot of reasons to be a complainer, a whiner, disgruntled, disagreeable, frustrated, angry, perturbed, disturbed. Okay, all of us do. And most of us are. But at some point, your Christianity ought to help you rise above the circumstance of the moment and say, guess what? You know why I have hope? You know why I'm so happy? Sunday's coming. It's coming. So right now may, may not be the world's greatest day or my greatest moment. Well, Sunday's coming. And just about the time you see that evil prevail or that evil person prevail, is for you, Sunday's coming too. And never forget, it, Sunday's going to be a bad day. When their reign of evil is over, it's eternity in hell. So rejoice in your Sunday. In your Sunday. Because for you it means... Eternity with God in heaven.